beautiful song. Great message. You know, God says to us through that song, I love you very much, but even if I don't spare you from the trials and tribulations of life, will you still follow me? Will you still follow me? And that's what that song says. I'm going to follow you anyway. Even when times get rough, I'm going to follow you, Lord. Well, I want to, I want to semi-apologize. Can a preacher do that? Um, I was listening to my, I listen to my sermons every week and uh, just evaluating, seeing where I, where I messed up because I know I will. And I listen to myself, preach them. I always ask my wife. Those are the two things I do to evaluate. I don't know what you're going to say to me after a sermon, but Cindy Reed is brutally honest. Okay? So she talked to me, and I've got the greatest wife. And she, we were talking about this, and she said, uh, you just sounded angry last week. And I said, no, I didn't sound angry. And so I listened to it, and I said, you know, I probably sounded a little angry. So let me assure you of something. I wasn't angry, but I was passionate. Can I get away with that? Okay, I'm very passionate about this thing because I'm excited about the possibility as we move towards simplicity and focus more than anything else of what God can do in the life of our church. And sometimes when you've got something in your mind and your heart, you just got to get it out and you got to work at it. I probably have to work more than other folks, but that way, if it sounded like anger, that's what it was. Now, let me say this. There may come times when, you know, the old caricature, the angry preacher is, at, is appropriate. There are times, you know, you can be angry and sin not. Jesus got angry, okay? And Paul said, be angry and sin not. So there may be times when I'll try the best I can to be uh, kind, but... Uh, when I look at the world in which I live in, and I think about Christianity, I think about what's going on in the world, and I think about the church, because I love the church, sometimes I do get frustrated. Is that fair to say? I get frustrated. I get frustrated myself, and I get frustrated at the church in general. So I just wanted to say that. I don't know if that has anything to do with my message, but you need to hear that. I'm going through a series over the next five weeks, I believe it is, dealing with 1 Corinthians. Now, you're in 1 Corinthians in Sunday school, so that's part of the reason many of, your, many of our classes are, some are not, but probably about 100 of our folks who normally attend Sunday school are in 1 Corinthians. And I've been praying about this book during, the, during this year because of the concept in 1 Corinthians has the idea of flipping the switch. Now, we've already been in 1 Corinthians a little bit. Remember when we talked about being motivated by the mission? We were in 1 Corinthians what? 13, talking about love as a motivation for the mission. And there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that speaks to this idea of flipping the switch from us to others when he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child and I acted as a child. But when I became a man, I did what? I put away childish things. In other words, I flipped the switch. I stopped acting selfish and I started acting selfless. Now, we understand that doesn't happen overnight, amen? But it does need to happen in the Christian life. And I think it's something that the church needs to hear today. And we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks in some different passages, some of which you'll be looking at in your Sunday school classes, one or two you won't be. And, and the whole idea is that there comes a time when we just need to stop, take a look at our lives and evaluate and flip the switch to move from doing things childishly to doing things selflessly. We're believers, everybody with me on that? We're believers, but there comes a flipping of the switch. 
So that's what this series is about. We're going to look at five different areas. We're going to talk about limiting our liberties for others. Remember, we're moving from us to others. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about others. All right? Limiting our liberties for others. Gathering together for others. Next week, we'll have the Lord's Supper service looking at 1 Corinthians 11 and talk about how they were becoming so selfish in doing that they were not getting their minds on what was most important when they gathered together and some were actually sick and died because of that. Then we're going to talk about the living out the gospel for others in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Corinthians 9. Then growing the church for others, 1 Corinthians 3, then being united for others, 1 Corinthians 1. So that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks. So we're going to start here with limiting our liberties for others. So would you stand in honor of God's word? We're going to look at all of 1 Corinthians 8. All 13 verses today. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with the consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. Talking about that meat. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, or if we do not eat are we worse. But will beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just help me to be faithful to say what you want me to say today. Say it with the right spirit. Say it clearly. Lord, do your work. Plant that seed deep in our hearts that we'll take seriously this very thing. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you'll give me just a second, I've got to get some water. But I want to talk about, before we get into the seven points of the message that you have there already written out, I want to talk about what meat offered to idols means because most of us, when we go to Whataburger these days, we're not worried about whether or not your cheeseburger's been sacrificed to a pagan god. Is that, is that fair to say? We're not concerned about that. So let's talk about this because this was an issue they were dealing with and although the specifics may not go on in North America today, there's a practical principle underneath that needs to apply to our lives. The phrase meat offered to idols or meal offered to idols appears 10 times in the New Testament. The first time it occurs is in Acts 15 
when the Jerusalem council is saying to the Gentiles, we're not going to put a burden on you, but you do not need to eat meat offered to idols. And you see that in 1529. Paul also mentions it again before James in Jerusalem in uh, Acts 21-25. Then he addresses the issue to a pretty good extent in actually 1 Corinthians 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, where he deals with the idea that they had that everything is permissible. Everything is lawful. I can do whatever I want. Now, we are free in Christ. Amen? We are free in Christ. So that's what he's pressing up against, and he's reminding them that even though you are free, that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want or should do whatever you want. So he talks about this being, meat being offered to idols, and he mentions it in verse 1, verse 4, verse 7. He mentions it two more times in verse 10. And then it's such an issue that it even comes up in the book of Revelation, to the churches in the book of Revelation. So this was a big deal back then. They were dealing with this pagan culture. So whenever, and this is very interesting as well, whenever meat offered to idols is mentioned, there's an, also a connection between that and sexual immorality as well. When you read passages on that. And sometimes it was what's called a funerary meal. Have y'all ever had a meal after a funeral? Well, they would do that, but it would be more of a religious thing for them within their pagan worship. And the meat offered to idols had to do with the passing of a loved one from life to death. So there were a lot of implications that went on with this. And you see this connection. Now, let me give you an illustration of how this would go down. This is from the website gotquestions.org. So we're going to get these two guys, first century Christians. Their names are Demetrius and Clement. Demetrius and Clement. Both are former idolaters, now saved by faith in Christ. Demetrius shuns everything to do with his old way of life, including the meat sold in the marketplace, because for him, for Demetrius, eating such meat would constitute a return to paganism. Clement avoids the temple and refuses to participate in the pagan festivals, but he doesn't have a problem eating the meat from the market. Clement understands, correctly, that an idol has no power to corrupt good meat. And for him, eating such meat's a non-issue. Then one day, both men are in the marketplace. Demetrius sees Clement eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol. Demetrius is horrified, but Clement laughs it off and encourages Demetrius to eat some too. When Demetrius hesitates... Clement cuts off a piece and hands it to him. Demetrius, emboldened by Clement's confidence, eats the meat. Biblically, both believers have sinned. Y'all hear that? Clement sinned by violating the conscience of a fellow believer. Demetrius sinned in that he essentially returned to idolatry. At least that's what his conscience is telling him. More importantly, Demetrius is learning how to ignore his conscience. A very dangerous thing to learn. So, is there such a thing as modern day idol meat? Well, I asked this question of a number of folks at different places. And here's some of the responses I got. And i got to give you some um, parameters as I do. Here's, here's specifically what I said. 1 Corinthians talks about avoiding meat offered to idols for the sake of others. Idol meat is not something we're concerned with today, but what would you consider an equivalent to it? 
what would be modern-day idol meetings? What is something we can do as Christians, but maybe we should not do for the sake of others and sin against our fellow Christians if we did it? Interested in your thoughts. And here's what some people said are some things they considered modern-day idol meetings. By the way, in some South American countries, I found that out, this is still an issue. Eat meat offered to idols is still an issue. Y'all with me on that? So it's still an issue to some places, not one we deal with here, basically, but it's one they deal with there. And the reason I'm not giving you just one, because here's the temptation. If I give you just one that I think is one, that's, that's not a sin, you can do it, but you shouldn't for the sake of your brother, your mind will probably go like mine would. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to worry about it. But you know what? You may be guilty of stumbling or causing someone to stumble in another area. Because if it's something you can do but you shouldn't do for the sake of others, guess what, beloved? You ought not do it. So here's some examples. Now, whether you agree with these or not, I'm not even saying I agree with them all. This was just the sample survey. Everybody with me on that? And say amen if you're awake. Thank you. Here's some examples. Foul language. Consumption of alcohol. Smoking marijuana. That came from a Korean California pastor, so we'll leave it at that. Eating too much. Attending Mardi Gras parades. Eating food that's marked kosher or halal. Yoga or Eastern meditation. Smoking cigarettes or cigars. Outspoken political views. Eating at a casino or gambling. Playing the lottery. Sunday activities and when to worship. So you see that it can cover the gamut. Y'all with me on that? It can cover the gamut, so you need to be aware of that. So now, if something is just flat-out sin, it's flat-out sin, but we're dealing with something that maybe Scripture doesn't specifically say it prohibits or specifically commands. But this is about what you do for the sake of others. Remember, this whole sermon's about flipping the switch from us to who? Others. So that's the point Paul's trying to make. And understand, there's some things you ought to offend people about, and you will offend people about. Let me give you two. First, following Jesus. Following Jesus will offend some people. I hate to tell you this. If you're offended by that, I'm going to keep following Jesus. We are told, as a matter of fact, by Paul in this book, that the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block to some people. You know what? I'm going to keep preaching the cross. Okay, y'all with me on that? There are some things that are offensive that we just need to just smile and lovingly keep on offending because it's essential that people understand that the gospel is offensive. But there are some areas that may not be sin areas that you can do because of your freedom in Christ that maybe you shouldn't because of your brother or sister in Christ. So, The important thing I want you to see is just because you can do something, that doesn't mean you should. So here's seven reasons, seven reasons, I've already filled them out for you there, that I see in this passage for limiting your liberties for the sake of others. Number one, because you love God. 
If you love God, you want to follow him, and if you want to follow Jesus Christ. Love for God will lead to obedience. Love for God will lead you to love your fellow Christian. Real love like Jesus loved will cause us to limit our liberties for the sake of others. Loving God means we will be devoted for, to him and keep his commandments. Jesus said that loving God sums up the law pretty well. If you love God, are you willing to limit your liberties for the sake of others? I thought a great example of this is marriage. When you marry somebody and you take those vows and you love them, you don't go into the thing going, I'm going to do the minimal amount I can get away with to show my love and then I'll go from there. I mean, you'd be in trouble, would you not, with your spouse? Okay, the idea with love is that it's an overflowing, it's an abundant. It's a willing to limit your individual liberties for the sake of the whole, because now you're connected to that person. And in the same way, because you love God, because you're connected to him, and you're, you're in relationship with him. So, are you willing to limit your liberties for the sake of others? Number two, because you want to edify others. Because you want to edify others. To edify others is to build one another up. It is that which is said and done that strengthens the individual and the corporate Christian character of the church. Edification is a primary goal of a mature disciple. We learned that from Ephesians 4. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.23, because this is an ongoing thing he's dealing with. In 6, in 8, in 10, he's dealing with it, and in 9. He says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Not all things build up. The principle of edification is a primary motivator for our actions in the Christian life. In Romans 14, he also talked about this as well. Romans 14, 19, Paul said we ought to pursue those things which edify one another. Y'all with me on that? Pursue what lifts one another up and encourages one another. So are you doing that? It's not about us. It's about others. Number three, because some things aren't worth it. They just aren't worth it. Paul made this statement. He said, but food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we don't eat are we the worse. Basically, say it's not the food that's the issue. In other words, it's just food. It's just food. I think part of the problem is that we make too much of these things. And even if they are neutral, we make them overly important. Someone might say, and this is an example, but it can be anything. Well, I like to go get a lottery ticket, or I like to go eat at the casino. But beloved, it's just a ticket, and it's just a meal. Amen? So uh, it's, it's a matter of how important is that thing to you? Is it as important to you as it is to God? And isn't God's measure of what's important the more important measurement? So when it comes to these things, well, I got to have my this or I got to have my that. No, you don't because it's just a fill in the blank. Some things aren't worth it. Is it really worth your liberties to cause a brother to stumble? That's really the question. Number four, because some things are stumbling blocks. Some things are stumbling blocks. A stumbling block is that which provides an occasion or an opportunity for someone to sin. 
A stumbling block is something that provides an occasion or an opportunity for someone to sin. Another idea behind the word, and this is interesting, is the idea of blame. Behind the Greek word is blame. Who's to blame for the sin of another? Now let's be, let's be honest, we're all personally responsible for when we sin. Amen? But there is a sense that Paul is saying that if you do certain activities, you've got as much blame as that person who sinned for causing them to sin. And that's a scary thought to me. Isn't that a scary thought to you? That what we do, we might have partial blame for causing someone to stumble in their Christian life and fall into a trap of sin. If we fail to limit our liberties, then we are to blame for their sin. Paul mentions this in Romans 14, 13. He says it again. Therefore, let us not judge one another, but rather resolve this, make this commitment, he says, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So are you doing things in your life that might cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble in their faith? Number five, because you love your fellow Christians. If you love one another like Jesus loves you, then your behavior in this world ought to reflect it. After all, we've learned from looking at the one another's that once you became a Christian, we became connected to one another, did we not? And we're members of one another immediately, not just members of God, but we're members of one another. So we ought to be encouraging one another, edifying one another, comforting one another, loving one another, serving one another, and we ought to be loving one another like Jesus loved us what he said in John 13 34 and 35 he said love one another as I have loved you and think about how Jesus loved Jesus loved unconditionally he loved sacrificially amen that's what this time of year is about he loved sacrificially he loved eternally he forgave and received others and we ought to be the same you know it's interesting to note that Jesus said one of the most effective evangelism tools was the fact that we have a love for one another. I saw this played out in one of the comments that I read from someone because they mentioned one of these modern-day idol meat things, and somebody, they said, somebody asked me why I didn't do that particular thing. And they said, because I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. And that opened up an opportunity to share the gospel with that person they wouldn't have had before. So, so you see, love displayed and lived out can be a powerful witnessing tool to a world that needs to hear about Jesus. If we love one another, we're going to act a certain way toward one another. So are you, are you doing that? Are you willing to limit your liberties for love? Number six, because it might lead you to sin. We see in the passage that it can cause the person to sin. The other person. We see that, correct? Well, you know what? It may cause you to sin as well. Take a look at what he says in the last part of chapter 8. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. You see, the sinner there isn't just the person who stumbles. The sinner is also you. The sinner is also you. We know that this meat offered to idol issue can cause our fellow Christians to sin. And it causes us to sin as well. The fact, I want you to hear this, this is very important, because 
you will, you will think you're hearing legalism where you're not. The fact is that sin moves beyond just the written law. It's not much of a walk with God that says, well, as long as it's not written down in the Bible, I can do whatever I want. Okay, that's like saying, as long as I said I didn't do it in my marriage vows, I can do whatever I want. Okay, because your love to God ought to be greater than that. This is not legalism I'm talking about here. This is a little bit of holiness. But this is, let me, let me give you just a, a brief distinction between legalism and what we're talking about here. Legalism says that you do certain things in order to earn God's favor. That's what legalism says. You do certain things in order to earn God's favor. This is not that. We are called to trust in God because of what has already been done through Jesus. It's not do, it's done. Amen? So this is, this is a matter of not legalism. This is a matter of love. This is a matter of limiting our liberties for love. But when we do things apart from faith, we sin. When we, do what it's, what's, when we don't do what's good and we know we ought to do it, it's sin as well. The fact is that when you cause a stumbling block, you not only cause others to sin, you sin yourself. And you sin against Christ. You sin against Christ. Realize that's the issue. And finally, because others are worth it. Others are worth it. Paul makes this statement. I want you to hear the weight of this statement. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Now, I don't know what's totally gathered up in that, but can I tell you, I don't want my knowledge or my actions to cause another brother to perish. Amen? Don't want him to perish. He goes on to say, for whom Christ died. He's saying, don't you realize how important they are? Jesus Christ died for them. But when you thus sin against your brethren, you sin again and wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if, and he says, if food's going to make my brother stumble, I won't eat meat ever again. It's that important. I can. He, at the first part of chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I can. I'm free. But you know what? If it keeps my brother from stumbling for me to go without a hamburger, praise God, I'm going to go without a hamburger. Because it's not that important, and they're worth it. Jesus died for them, and if he died for them, then I ought to be willing to live for them. Shouldn't I? This isn't an easy thing flipping the switch, is it? It's a struggle. It's what we're called to do. And I'll end this last point by just this verse, Romans 14, 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Beloved, your brother and sister in Christ are worth it. So I'll leave you with this last statement. Did you know Jesus limited his liberties for you? Did you know that? Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says that he being in the very form of God chose to limit himself as God and came to earth the form of a human, not just the form of a human, the form of a servant, so that he could die that death on the cross. He limited, limited, limited out of love for you. So why can't we limit our liberties for others? Church, amen?
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, flipping the switch is easy and hard. It's easy and hard. And Lord, I just pray that you give us the strength to do what we need to do to realize that this thing that we are called the church is not about us. It's about others. If it takes limiting my liberties for the sake of others, whatever those liberties may be, Lord, make me willing, help me to be willing to do it. Whether it's the food I eat or the things I do, Lord, it can be any a number of things. Lord, just give me wisdom and give us wisdom, Lord, that we might be willing to limit our liberties for the sake of others. And Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't realize what Jesus was willing to limit in his own life, what liberties he was willing to give up for them, I pray that they'll see that today and they'll respond to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice you made for us. So Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our lives. In your name we pray. You stand.